0: welcome to the echo community church podcast at echo we're all about being and making disciples of jesus christ and on this podcast you'll hear solid teaching from the bible from our pastors at echo thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message morning everybody happy easter to you so glad that you're here today Uh, we're going to talk about resurrection is that all right yeah, it's a whole lot more exciting to talk about that than crucifixion, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're here today, and, and we get to spend a few moments. For some of you, this is going to be a, a reminder. It's going to be a reminder. You already know this, but I'm going to remind you. I have a buddy of mine who recently retired, and he says, you know, his wife, his wife gets on him because once a day he's like, honey, i got to go log in. i got to go log in, honey. And uh, Caius, do you log in too? Do you? Yeah? You log in? So he, said, he tells his wife, I've got to go log in. It's time for me to go log in. And she just rolls her eyes at him. You know what he likes? He likes to log into his retirement account and just look at the number. He just likes to look in that bank account and just see all the... He's like, it's just, sometimes I just need to remind myself of what I've already got in the bank. You it know, makes a good day. I want to remind you that today we can just look at what we've already got in the bank, so to speak, because of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes you just need to remind yourself of what you all Ready? have so for some of you this is a reminder for others of us um, I hope that this is really appealing to you I hope that this grabs you and it makes you think when we think about um, the life that's after this life that's what the resurrection is all about it's extremely important it is the critical fact of being a Christian you you take the resurrection away from what it means to be a Christian and All you're left with is hopelessness. It's an empty story. How many of you have ever played the game Jenga? You played the game Jenga? Yeah. Um, Those of you that haven't, it's a a game about trying not to knock over a tower. You get all these little wooden pieces. and They're these little wooden planks, and you dump them out, and you build a tower. It's three planks this way, and then three planks this way. And you stack it all up till you have a nice tower. And the game kind of goes along that each person on their turn has to slide out one of the planks that's in the tower without knocking the tower over. And put it back on top of the tower. And you keep going until someone pulls out a plank and knocks down the tower. And, you know, I like to go earlier in the game. I like to go like first because I'm trying to find the planks that you can move out without toppling the tower but the longer the game goes the more important each of those planks is and some of them you can just tell by looking at them that one has a lot of structural integrity if it gets to my turn I'm gonna lose resurrection is like playing all of Jenga built on one plank okay resurrection in Christianity is like the bottom plank You can build everything else on top of it, but if we pull Jesus' resurrection out from under it, it all tumbles and falls. That's how important it is. The Apostle Paul is trying in today's text to convince some relatively new Christians, 50, 60 of them that were living in Corinth, of how important the resurrection is. In fact, he tells them it's most important. And like I told you last week, part of becoming a mature Christian is being able to do the following is being able to look at all of the facts that the Bible provides us about how to live and who God is and what should be important and be able to say there are things that are important, there's another category that's more important and then there's a much smaller category that's most important. We have to be able to say that God thinks some things are more important without making all the other things totally unimportant. It's possible to be important, but to have something that's even more important and then something that's even most important. We're going to look at what Paul said as I knock over the Easter lily. It's not because I don't like lilies. Now I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to balance this right. Julie, I might need your help, or this is going to be a big distraction day. Or you know what would not be a big distraction? What if I just do this? <laughs> that would not distract. It was the air conditioning the other night, and today your pastor stepped on the Easter lilies. I'm so. is it... Now, I'm OCD. Is the unbalanced of the lilies going to bother you? Don't think... It. Now that I pointed it out, like some of you are like, now nah, I, can't, I can't unsee it. You're going to be all right. Hopefully those of you watching at home aren't upset by this, but I'm kind of at the point of no return. They're going to keep going. So, so we're going to look at resurrection today. It's extremely important. It is mission critical. It is central. So we're going to talk about two things, what actually happened, and then why it matters. Not everything that happened in history matters to the way that you live today just before the 11 o'clock service my 11 year old was in my office with me for a few minutes and he's scrolling through his news feed which is pretty much at this point in his life all baseball so the baseball he goes dad he's a Braves fan he goes dad did you realize that this is the 49th anniversary of Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run and we looked it up and sure enough he's right you know April April of 1974 Hank Aaron hit home run number 715 and It's a pretty big deal to baseball fans, especially to Chase and I, and we've been to Cooperstown, New York. We saw the uniform that Hank wore and all those other things. But can I be honest with you, nothing about that home run changes the way I relate to my wife today. Nothing about that home run changes the way I think about myself when I look in the mirror. Nothing about that home run changes the way I spend my time or the way that I spend my money, the way that I treat people that I like or that I don't get along with, the way that I think about my future, my present, and my past. It happened, but as it relates to my life, it doesn't matter that much. Today we're going to look at a resurrection, the resurrection, and why it matters. You see, the Corinthians believed In the resurrection of Jesus they just didn't believe in a resurrection of the rest of us it didn't really matter to them to Greeks that lived in that day the idea of an afterlife with a real body was ridiculous they thought our body was a tomb that was repressing our soul and that when we died finally we could shed our body and our soul would be free so when they talked about an afterlife where God would give us a brand new body they're like Big deal. Why should we care? So we need to talk about not only what happened, but why it matters. So let me read to you how Paul summarizes the entire Easter narrative in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. What Paul is saying is that it's okay to preach a sermon over again. Let me remind you of the good news I preached before. You've heard this before. It's good news. I'm going to preach it to you again because you need to be reminded of it. You need to log in and look at it and feel good about what you've got stored away for your future and how it makes you feel today. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if, this is an extremely important verse, It's the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was, here's this phrase, most important. Now, Paul's saying, I'm about to tell you what's most important. Now, appreciate the humor that I see in this. What chapter of 1 Corinthians am I reading from? Fifteen. If you're writing a letter and you've got something really you want to get off your chest that's most important, where are you putting it? I'm putting it in chapter 1, paragraph 1. If you're still hanging with me 15 chapters in, it's either really captivating or Paul just didn't put He says, of all the things I've already talked to you about, they're important. He talked to them about marriage. He talked to them about divorce. He talked to them about sex. He talked to them about sex before marriage, during marriage, after marriage. He talked to them about their diet he talked to them about idol worship he talked to them about the disagreements they were having in the congregation he talked to them about why it's not a good idea to have a favorite preacher he talked to them about a whole lot of other stuff and it was all important but he says this is even more important than that that's how important it was to him that they understood not just the resurrection of jesus but a resurrection that's been promised to everyone else who puts their hope in Jesus. So back to the verse. Unless, of course, you believed in something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Here, Here we go. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Then he was seen by Peter then by the 12 after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have died then he was seen by james and later by all the apostles last of all as though i had been born at the wrong time i also saw him so he lays out the good news of the gospel in very short, concise form. He also gives us a bibliography. He tells us, here's the two different places that I've gone to, and you can go to, to fact check what I just wrote. What are the two different sources that he uses? Give me one of them. The scriptures. In other words, you can go through the scriptures and see how Hundreds of years before, and in a couple cases more than 1,000 years before, the events that I just wrote about took place, the prophets and the Old Testament writers predicted through God's revelation who Jesus would be, when he would come, why he would come, how he would live, how he would die, why he would die, when it would happen, where it would happen, who did it. The scriptures said that it had to happen a specific way at a specific time. I was thinking about this this morning, and I can't go down this rabbit trail because I just saw the trail and I really want to run down it. Um, how challenging Jesus' assignment was to die by the method of crucifixion and maintain his innocence his whole life. That's not easy to do. That'd be like, you know, God assigning someone to say, listen, I need you to be executed on an electric chair by committing this crime only you can't commit the crime. And it has to happen on this day and this location. Like, that's not easy to do. And I'm just like, man, that was just even the whole, it's kind of morbid to think about, but I'm like, he maintained his innocence and yet made sure that he was convicted for a crime that carried with it that specific punishment. And not only that, but he died on that, but he died on that specific day, at that specific time. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling for me. Anyway, back to, back to the verse. So what actually happened? And why does it matter? Why did Paul think it was so important that those readers and us today understand that there is a resurrection? You do understand that there's a difference between a resurrection and... Have you ever heard the term CPR? It's a first aid term, right? Medical term. Do you know what the CP stands for? I know I have some heart, heart specialists. Cardio, pulmonary. What's the R stand for? resuscitation okay do you know what what does it mean to resuscitate someone you bring them back alive from the dead Uh, I was watching Monday Night Football this last football season when there was a collision between DeMar Hamlin and T Higgins in a Bengals Bills game how many of you saw the even if you don't follow football you followed the reports There was this medical anomaly that happened, and because of that collision and a whole lot of other medical things that I don't understand, DeMar Hamlin, the player from the Bills, his heart stopped working, and he stopped breathing. And you know what had to happen? The team trainers had to administrate CPR to him on the field. Now, fortunately, they were successful in resuscitating him. Resuscitate means a person who was dead has been brought back to life. CPR is a medical method that can be used to help in certain situations if administrated correctly and the body responds properly. A body that has been dead, that does it, it's not breathing, heart's not working, bring it back to life again. Now, we have a resuscitation recorded not too far away from Jesus' crucifixion. There was a man whose resuscitation is recorded in Scripture. A man by the name of Lazarus. Have you heard of Lazarus? He had two sisters, right? What were their names? Mary and Martha. When Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to make his special entry, he stops on the way there, and he stays at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when he arrives at their home, in what physical condition is Lazarus? He's dead. Not only is he dead, where is his body? It's in a grave. Jesus speaks the following words, Lazarus, come out, and so on. Come forth. and He was the fourth person who came out. There's three other people. Just get over yourself. right? Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out. Right? And there's a lot of people that see it. And they're like, this guy is the truth. If he can bring people back from the dead, he can definitely defeat the Romans. And what we see here is not a resurrection. It is a resuscitation because... What body did Lazarus have after he came back to life? He had the same body he had. Now, albeit it was working a whole lot better. I'm going to trip over this thing if I'm not careful. Is working a whole lot better than when he died. He had the same body, but it was working again, right? And I'm not trying to be a downer today. But you do know that at some point in Lazarus's future, you know what happened to that body? It died again. Resuscitation is when someone is clinically dead, they are brought back to life, but they're brought back to life in the same body with the same organs that they had when they died the first time. Now, don't get me wrong, that's a good day for Lazarus? If a loved one of yours suddenly dies and they're able to bring them back to life, that's gonna be a good day, that was a miracle, it's awesome, he was resuscitated, but he was given the same body that he had when he died, and that body still could decay. It eventually died, subject to sin, subject to imperfections. Awesome. A resurrection is different. you know what's different about a resurrection? That's, that's when a person who is clinically, physically dead is brought back to life and given what? Whole new Body that will never die again we have one picture of that in the Bible we have the first picture of that and a promise that this is just the first fruit of all who will follow him okay? I want you to understand the Corinthians believed in the resurrection of Jesus but not a resurrection of their physical bodies and so Paul says it's important that you grab all of this because it, it matters. It shapes the way that you live. Now, he's also showing them how inconsistent they were. How can you, on the one hand, say, I don't believe in a resurrection. I don't believe that we're going to get a new physical body with new physical properties. It's imperfect. But at the same time, I believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. How can you say you don't believe in it, but you do believe in it in a one-off situation over here? Paul's trying to point out to them how they're they're not being intellectually consistent here. But he shows us what happened, and he tells us why it mattered. So let's look right at that. What actually happened in this enterprise? Paul breaks it down into three simple facts. Fact number one, Jesus died. Why? Why? for our sins just like the scriptures predicted that's fact number one he's reminding them of this who did what and why jesus died for our sins just like the scriptures predicted now this morning i won't read all the old testament scriptures but i put them there if you download the notes they're in there too um you can check them out on your own time but just know that not only did he die, not only did he die for our sins, but he died the way and in the method and the and the duration and the all the other things they were predicted in advance. He fulfilled everything. He died for our sins, just like the scriptures predicted. If you don't have a death, there is no resurrection. That means it's just a living person that was in a coma or was really sick that just got better. But I have to ask these questions, because somebody like, Pastor, I get it, I can tell when I say that, there's, there's no response. I get it. For some of you, this is just old hat. You understood this. Why does that matter? Why Jesus? Why not, you know, John or Phil or Bob or Mandy or or Lisa? Why not? Why was it the Jesus part of that statement important? Why did he have to die? And why did he include for our sins in it? Well, it was Jesus was the only one left who could possibly fulfill the specific requirements that God expected if there was going to be a substitute payment for our penalty. You see, death was not God's original plan for you and me. When God created the earth, it was good. It was righteous. It was clean. It was pure. When God made man, who was the first man that God made? Adam. You know what the Hebrew word for man is? Adam. Okay, so if you know, You know, hey man, what you're really saying is, hey Adam, you got it, okay? That's, Adam is the word. When God made Adam and God made Eve, everything was perfect and good. God made the earth and made people because he wanted to, because he wanted to create Someone and somebody that he could share with them all that he was and all that he had. And so they could share all that they were and all they had with him in one beautiful union. Two totally unlike beings in total inseparable relationship. That's actually also his blueprint for marriage, ironically enough. That's why God made us, because he wanted to share and give himself to us. Have us share and give ourselves to him and just enjoy each other. There was no death. There was no suffering. There was no labor. There was no work. There were no blemishes. There was no decay. None of that stuff. But that didn't last long. It wasn't long until we decided to. In certain instances, we think we know better than God how we should live, what is right, what is wrong. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve both said essentially in their own way, not your will, but mine be done. And because of that, the Bible says sin entered the world through Adam. And all of us, here's a fact that we can't There's no disputing this. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and we know it. We all know that we're imperfect. We all know we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I'm only human. To err is to be human. Nobody's perfect. We confess these things as facts all the time. The difference is some of us are okay with that but some of us, because of the Holy Spirit, we're really not okay with that. We know We're broken, we know that we're wrong, that we do wrong, that we can't stop doing wrong and we have a problem with that and it bothers us, the guilt weighs on us and so we try and deal with that in some kind of way. We recognize, even if we can't put words to it, we recognize we've broken some type of moral rule in our life and we deserve some type of consequence for that and we're all trying to pay that off in some kind of way. Well, God had two options at this point. Does he just crumple up earth like a drawing that the artist made a mistake on and throw it into the trash can and just nuke the earth and people and never do it? Does he start a whole brand new earth with new people and try it all over again? Or does he do the more difficult path of saying, I'm going to redeem my creation and try to get it back to the original plan of just being inseparable but until i deal with the sin problem until i deal with the death problem because death entered the world through sin there was no death until there was sin and then because of sin there's death those are the two things that we need to remove from the equation so we can have relationship with god again and and god tried to redeem the world the first adam failed then he tried to redeem it through this people called israel and how well did they do with being perfect and living in perfect obedience to god not very well The reality is, and the conclusion is, there's no human being on this earth who is capable of providing of themselves a perfect offering and a sacrifice to God to pay off the debt that we have. The Bible tells us in God's justice system, every crime carries the same punishment. Every sin against God is punishable by death every one the wages of sin is death that's what we deserve so why jesus well because there was nobody left on the earth who was capable of providing a perfect sinless life as payment for the for the sins of others couldn't do it so god had to send someone from outside the world into the world to take our place to send someone, as Dr. Joe so eloquently said on friends and family, to send someone, he left his place to come to our place and take our place so we could go to his place. That's why Jesus, he left heaven and came to earth and took the form of a human. And he had to not only come to earth, but he had to be tempted in every way like we were and yet remain obedient. But why did he have to die? Why couldn't he have just brought God a good offering? Why couldn't he have just drawn God a nice picture? Why couldn't he have just said, God, listen, I'm your son. Can we just settle this, you know, father to son? Why did he actually have to die? Why is that so important to the whole story? And I guess the simplest way to describe it is that death is the only form of payment that God could accept to satisfy the penalties and the crimes. It's the only currency that would work to pay off that kind of debt. It's like if you went after church today down to Panera Bread, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to bless this lovely young couple in front of us today. They've just ordered for themselves several croissants and some uh, of their delicious croissant, whatever word you want to say. Just seeing if you're still here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise them. I'm going to pay off their bill today. And they come up to the little thing and they... They get ready and they tell, okay, that's gonna be, you know, $247 and they a lot of croissants, all right. $247. And you say, you know what, you know what, sweetheart, young man, I got this. Listen, I wanna pay off their debt today. And you reach in your pocket and you pull out two gigantic handfuls of Mexican pesos and you just empty them out on the counter and you just stand back like you have just conquered the world. And the 15-year-old looking at those pesos is going to look at you with some kind of look. Like you have three heads. Like, what, what are those? They're pesos. They're good here. And she's going to have to get a manager, first of all. And they're going to come over and they're going to be like, we can't accept pesos as payment. It's $247. It, and you're like, oh, no, it's good. It, it's good. It's good. And they no, we can't accept that kind of currency for that kind of bill here. And you say, hold on for a second. I'm an artist. Let me draw you a nice picture. And you just scribble a few things. And I say, there you go. All right, guys, go ahead and enjoy your croissants." And they say, wait, that doesn't work here. You, it's $247. That kind of payment can't be applied to that type of bill. I want you to understand that in God's justice system, our sins have accrued a debt to God that's only satisfied through death. That's the currency. You wouldn't be happy if you opened up your, your newsfeed today and you scrolled through and you read a story of a famous, uh, a very infamous murderer who's killed dozens and dozens and dozens of innocent people, who was convicted by the court, who shows up for sentencing and says to the judge, you know, Judge, I've been thinking about it. Um, I'm really afraid of the death penalty. Could we just, could I just do some community service? Could we negotiate here? I would I could teach some aerobics classes at the Y for the next 15, call it 17 years. Could we just make things even? If the judge said, you know what, you're right, I've, I'm having a great day today, I'm just feeling really good let's forget about the death penalty. You're sentenced to community service. We would be outraged because we'd say that's injustice. You can't take those crimes and all the people that have been impacted and then change the justice system and negotiate it down for community service. Can't do that. Why did Jesus have to die? Because that's the only kind of payment that God could consider accepting to forgive the debt that we've all accrued. But why did he die for our sins? Well, that's pretty simple. Paul's making a huge statement here. He's not dying for his sins. He knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He didn't stand convicted for anything that he had done wrong. Instead, he became a substitute. He said, Father, take everybody's sins who's here today and put them on me. Put them on my tab. The centurion, the guards that are gambling for my clothes, the people who scourged me, the teachers of the law who broke their own laws and had all these trials that violated their own rules for trials just to railroad me, put their sins on me. All the people walking by and cursing me and mocking me, put their sins on me, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In fact, God, that's not enough. Take everybody that's already dead, take their penalty, put it on me. Take everybody that will ever live and all of their sins, put all of their debt on my tab. And I will substitute myself in today. God, I'm not asking you to forget about their sins. I'm asking you to take out their penalty on me. Beat me instead. Tear me apart instead. Kill me instead. I will take it all. And so you see, if God was willing to do that, what that means is that God is indeed a just God. That means he didn't forget about or overlook your sin or my sin. What he said was all of the punishment that you deserve has already been handed out, administered, and taken, and fulfilled and another man, Jesus. I don't know if that means something to you, but maybe I can illustrate it this way. You know, suppose my six-year-old is speaking very disrespectfully to his mother. Never happens in my house. But let's suppose that he does, and I hear it, and I come into the room and I say, all right, I heard you speak disrespectfully to your mother. That wasn't me, you're imagining it. He would never say that. I know what I heard, the evidence convicts you. And because of that, you're losing all of your electronic devices for the rest of the day, which is more of a punishment for his mother and I than it is for him. The 11-year-old, having heard this, comes into the room and what if he says, Dad, you know what? No, listen, that's too severe of a punishment for for him. Take mine instead. Put me in time out instead. I will take his punishment. I'll be honest with you, I'm not taking him up on that. Why? Because what's the six-year-old gonna think? He can do whatever he wants, and the next time he gets into trouble, big brother will pay it off for him, so he will live through his life cheapening grace. Do you cheapen Jesus' grace for you? Do you live with a nod and a wink towards the sin in your own life you're willing to tolerate because you're like, he'll just take my punishment for me? I want what Jesus did on the cross to impact my attitude towards sin. I don't want to use what Jesus did as a license to go live any old way I want, knowing that he took the beating for me. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm never satisfied with even a little bit of sin in my life. Yes, I will sin. Yes, there's sin inside of me, but it's not that I'm comfortable with it. I ask Jesus every day, Lord, there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in my life. Please satisfy that thirst and help me to live a righteous life. Let's not cheapen the grace Jesus poured out for us on the cross. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's be new. He died for our sins, just like the scriptures predicted. That's what happened. That's why Jesus, because no one else could do it, no one else was perfect everyone else had failed except for jesus the first adam went into the garden and said he said not your will but mine be done the second adam paul calls jesus went into the garden of gethsemane and said nevertheless lord not my will but yours be done the first adam lost freedom in the garden the second adam restored it in the garden he died because that's the only form of payment. What he did on Good Friday was like what you do when you get because you skipped all the Dave Ramsey courses and you got a new Quicksilver card in the mail from Visa because you saw Ashton Kutcher make a good pitch for it and you said, you know what, I want that. And you dust it off and you sign it and you go into Panera Bread and you have your 500 croissants and you put the thing in there and you're like, man, I hope this works today. And it's just the little things, little dot, dot, dot dot, 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 the people behind you are looking at you and you're like, I have enough to pay for it, it's just a new card, you know, you're just kind of a little embarrassed. You're wondering, will the transaction go through? Well, that's kind of the historical suspense we have between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. The payment has been made and now we're waiting to see if the vendor, as it were, accepts it. Second fact not a long fact, and you think, what does this really have to do, what importance does have? Jesus was buried. He died on the cross for our sins, and he was buried and remained dead for three days. Now, you might think, well, his burial is not that important to the whole story. It actually does play a significant role. His burial proves what? That he's actually dead. Well, pastor, why is that important? Have you not heard anything I said? If he didn't die this is a scam if he didn't die he didn't he wasn't resurrected if he didn't die for your sins you're not forgiven of anything and neither am i but the fact that he was buried and remained dead for three days shows he really was dead he really did fulfill the scriptures jesus said himself in matthew 12 just like jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days so the son of the man will be in the, in the belly of the earth for three days he was buried and i've spent time in previous services talking to you about all the different proofs and evidence we have for jesus being clinically dead you can go back and dig through that we're not going to walk through all of that today but there's lots of historic evidence that was recorded by the eyewitnesses that were there that proved to us why he was dead. They give us details about how he was prepared for burial and if you do your homework on that and see how he was wrapped with what he was wrapped explain to me then how a man who was in a coma could break out of the burial wrapping and then by himself in his weak and broken battered state roll that stone away and escape. Good luck on that one. But He was buried and remained dead for three days. Now I have been taken to task on the three days thing before, because those of you that are kind of doing the math, you're like, well, wait a minute. If he died on Good Friday and he was in the grave on Saturday, and then we celebrate that he was raised from the dead in the morning of Easter Sunday, that's not three days. Okay, well, let's just remember, this was written not, this was written for us, but not to us. Let's go back and look at ancient timing. You know, the Jews did not consider the beginning and the ending of their days the same way we do in the modern day. We, we look at midnight, you know, changing the days over. They looked at sunset. When the sunset was the end of the day and it started the next day, they also considered that if an event happened in any part of a day, that counted as a day. Why are you saying all that? Jesus was crucified. I'll use, I'll go back and forth between our calendar and theirs. He was crucified on Good Friday. He had to be in the grave before sundown on Friday so that the Jews could honor Shabbat. They could not touch a dead body. They could not, in fact, they were shocked. You know, Pilate was shocked that Jesus died so quickly on that particular day. But they had to get him, if he died, you know, around three o'clock and the sun set at 430, they had about 90 minutes to get him off the cross, prepared for burial in the tomb and have the stone rolled in front of it. It didn't. Didn't have much time. But according to their customs, he had to be in the grave before sundown on that Friday. So for whatever amount of minutes he was in the grave, that counts as day one. He was in the tomb all Saturday, which was Shabbat, till sundown on Saturday. That's day two. Then sometime between when the sun set on day two and when, uh, when he, he appeared to, you know, it's, it's sunrise when he appeared to the women on Easter Sunday, that counts as the third day. So, Good Friday before the sunset, day one. All Saturday, sun up, sun down, day two. And then overnight Saturday into our Sunday till sunrise, day three. And that fulfills the scriptures. Hope that's helpful to you. The third thing that happened, because listen, these two things only matter if the third one happened. If the third fact didn't happen, these things are just tragic facts that you might or might not know about today. There's a lot of people that died and were buried but there's only one that was resurrected from the dead with a new body, and that was Jesus. The third fact is God raised Jesus from the dead the third day, just like the scriptures predicted. I'm so thankful. My whole life is different today because he did that, because God did that, and it wasn't, he didn't raise himself, it was God's power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, the difference is he wasn't resuscitated. He had a brand new body, didn't he? Did the people recognize him? His friends recognize him when they saw him? Oh, it's Jesus walking around. No. He had a brand new body. And you think he was just a ghost. No, he's not like one of these new sitcoms, like he's a hologram, you go up to hug him, and it's just thin air. No. Because didn't he, in his resurrected body, didn't he eat? He had a nice delicious fish breakfast, didn't he? He could cook. They recognized his voice, but they didn't, his body was very different. It, could, it had mass, it had matter. I won't believe until I see the marks in his hands and the hole in his side. Okay, come on up and look. My Savior and my Lord, Thomas says. But his body could do some things that the other resuscitated bodies couldn't do. The, the disciples were in the room with all the windows and the doors locked, and what happens? Jesus just shows up in his real body. And then, I don't, it doesn't say, it just disappeared. Didn't let himself out the front door. Just I got it. How about the last thing he does on earth? How does he leave the earth? Flies away? Paul says in this same chapter, I know you're thinking, Corinthians, what kind of what will your body look like when you get to heaven? What will it do? All I can tell you is it will be like Jesus' glorious body. It will have mass, it will have matter, but it will not decay, it will not die. Yeah. God raised Jesus from the dead the third day, just like the scriptures predicted. You know what that means? He defeated two things. He defeated death and he defeated sin. If the cross was his payment, then the resurrection was the receipt. The resurrection shows when Jesus went to God and said, will you accept my life as payment for everyone? God said, yes. And since I can accept that payment, I can satisfy the debt. And now, Resurrection is possible. And so Jesus gives us a preview of what anyone else who is able to defeat sin and death can expect in their afterlife. Because when Jesus comes back, he's showing you the life after his physical body the first time expired. And he's saying to the Corinthians, How can you on the one hand believe that Jesus demonstrated to us an afterlife with a resurrected physical body and on the other hand deny that any of the rest of us should ever expect the same thing? That makes no sense. Paul says Jesus is simply the first of many who have this experience. And he told them we all should be able to grab onto the promise Those of us who put our faith and our hope in Jesus, not only have our sins forgiven, not only have grace, peace, and hope, not only have a new identity in this life, but we have the promise. He says the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of a future inheritance. Every single one of us can expect to have a resurrected body. Why do I need a body in heaven? Why aren't we just going to be spirits? Because God promised to redeem your body too. Listen, a resurrected body is the required dress code for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is perfect, flawless. It's comprised of citizens who live in perfect relationship with each other, with God. There is no death, there is no sorrow, there is no decay. You can't take this body in there because it's flawed. Why do I have to have a body that neither dies nor decays? Well, think about it. If you have a body that can decay but not die, what are we going to look like in heaven after about a thousand years? look like a Michael Jackson thriller video. It's going to be a mess. We're just going to get older and decay and decay and decay and decay and never die. Well, what if your body can die but never decay? Well, then heaven's going to be filled with tragedy. It's a place where there's no decay and no death. But you can't enter his kingdom with this body. It's not allowed in. It doesn't pass the dress code. Good news god's got you covered you're gonna get a whole new body that is perfect you won't have well i don't want to deal with temptation all through eternity good news you won't have to because you won't be remade with a sinful soul you'll have a body and a soul that are perfect that have been cleansed from sin and live forever with jesus in perpetuity and perfect community i got to keep trucking along not only did that happen but paul adds on and he just says by the way More than 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus. and He says to them at one point, like, look, some of these people are still alive. I'm going to name their names. If you don't believe me, go look up. It is a historic fact that he raised from the dead. That he was dead and then he was alive. All these people saw him. And you might be thinking, well, that's awesome. Why didn't Paul list out a whole list of eyewitnesses to the crucifixion? Well, because at that time, Everybody knew Jesus died by crucifixion. It was a common fact. He didn't have to list things. It was just commonly accepted. It was recorded in history that Jesus of Nazareth lived when the Bible says he lived. He died when the Bible says he died. And he died in the way the Bible says that he died. It is a historic fact that Jesus lived. It's a historic fact that Jesus died. What we debate is who was he and was he really resurrected? And Paul says, if you think I'm making this up, go talk to all these other eyewitnesses who were there. They saw it. And Paul says, I've met him. So, why does it matter? I'll give you three reasons why it matters. I'll close with this. Here's why it matters to you. Number one, it's the good news that will save you if you believe. Listen to me. If you're not saved, I don't know how to make this any simpler. You will not see heaven, you can't get in. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how much many good things we think we do, how kind, compassion, you can't kind your way into heaven. You can't compassion your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven, barter your way into heaven, trade your way into heaven, negotiate your way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. There's only one way into heaven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has already done. That's the only way in. The only way in. And the good news is that all the work has been done. That's what Christianity has that sets it apart. All the other major world religions are advice. They tell you what you have to do in order to please God and get into heaven. Only Christianity says here's what's already been done, you just have to believe it. I'm glad that the Bible gives me good news and not just a whole bunch of advice. Paul says it's important for you to be deeply, deeply, deeply convinced of those facts that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus was dead and buried, and that God raised him back to life because if you believe that, that's what saves you. My heart gets broken by how many people are convinced that they're saved because of stuff they do or stuff they don't do. Even Christians I hear it tumbling out of their mouths. People walk around feeling depressed and sad. People who I think are, 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 are professing Christians and you'll talk to them and they well why are you so depressed, why are you so dead, sad? I just think God must be really angry at me because all these bad things are happening in my life and I know it's because I sinned or I know it's because of my past or I know it's because of this and that's why I didn't get the job and that's why my finances are suffering. Listen. That says you have an idea that if I pay the rent, then I deserve the apartment. And if I don't pay the rent, then I deserve to be kicked out. You have a landlord, not a savior. You don't get into heaven because of all your good things. If you get into heaven, it's because of Jesus and that you believe in him and you recognize that he took your place And you simply say to him, I confess that I'm deeply convinced that that happened. And because of that, I'm willing to surrender my life to your leadership. So many people that I talk to still have this idea that they have to earn their way into heaven. And then they have to earn their stay in heaven. Listen, you didn't earn your way in and you can't keep your way there. That's all about Jesus. If you believe in him. You believe in his death. You believe in his resurrection and you believe that should have been you. That changes something inside of you. And you see him differently. You see you differently. You see others differently. Why does it matter? Because it is the good news. The good news isn't that Jesus died. The good news isn't that he was buried. The good news is that he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. That's the good news. That's the good news. You have to grab onto that and believe that and if that's all you ever understand that's enough pastor I like the XYZ's listen XYZ's only matter if you know the ABC's and the ABC's are most important it is the good news that saves us it saves us number two why does it matter well because if it didn't happen if he wasn't raised from the dead if he just lived and died and was buried here's what that means it means the Bible is false this is a fraud and the people who wrote it knew it was fake and they wrote it with the intention of deceiving you and none of it is useful to change your life it is a collection of suspect history and facts as you be just put on a shelf with any other fable if he wasn't raised from the dead. Because this whole Bible points to it in advance and back to it in retrospect. Second thing it means is faith is useless. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, your faith is in a dead man. And with all due respect, that's just foolish. Dead man can't save you. Dead man can't talk to you, dead man can't guide you, dead man can't relate to you, dead man can't forgive you, dead man can't restore you. Well, Pastor, I you know, I believe in Jesus. I'm not so sure about the resurrection. You have to look at it from your own perspective. Listen, friend, your faith is useless. I don't respect that. And that won't change you. The other thing is if he wasn't raised from the dead, that meant the payment didn't go through. The pesos were not accepted. And you are still unforgiven and you still owe god and what's ahead of you is judgment and you better just try and stretch this life out as long as you can because on the other side of death is terror for you i'm just being as blunt and honest as i can be in fact if you read a little bit further ahead in the chapter it's not on the screens but i'll read it to you here's the way paul puts it he's a little more delicate than i was verse 13 of chapter 15 if there's no resurrection of the dead, if in other words, if being raised back to life and getting a new body is impossible, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be liars about God because every last one of us has said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if resurrection from the dead is impossible. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. And in that case, everyone who's already died, believing in Jesus at the time that they died, they're all lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we should be more pitied than any other people group in the world. He's so gentle. So how important is the resurrection? It's most important. But here's the next one verse he writes. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. In other words, what he's saying is, if you can believe that God has the power to resurrect a body that was clinically dead and give it a brand new life and a brand new body that will live forever, If you believe he can do that once, then why wouldn't you believe he could do that as many times as he wants? I shared this in the first service. I went to heaven on earth when I was a child. It's called the the Hershey chocolate world. Now, I, I understand it's changed since I went there, but when I went there as a kid, it's at Hershey Park, and it's this guided tour of what I thought was the real chocolate factory and learned later that it wasn't. But it is this magical ride. You sit on this little, like, cart, and they, they played a soundtrack, and there was a narrator that told you all about the chocolate factory and how they made all the candies, and they took you through from where they harvest the beans to where they turn them into chocolate syrup, and they magically make them into candy bars, and it smelled like chocolate, and it was wonderful. They show you about how great this company is and how they can make these candies, and the best part of the whole experience was at the very end do any some of you if you know you know what do you get at the end what did you get at the end of the of the chocolate chocolate ride there at at Hershey Park what'd you get you got when I grew up you got a full-sized Hershey's chocolate bar and you know what I did I went through again (laughs) just kept on going Every single time I went through that ride, there they were at the end with another chocolate bar. Because in my mind, it was not a difficult leap to think, well, if they could make me a chocolate bar that first time, they can make as many as they want. I was totally comfortable. They would not run out of chocolate bars no matter how many times I went through that line. You know what I, I must have gone through that ride dozens and dozens and dozens of times. You know what I never experienced? I never once experienced an argument between a rider and the chocolate giver-outer. I never once, I never once, heard the chocolate giver router say to the writer, a uh, 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 sweetheart, I can only give you one candy bar, but if you go down to the gift shop, there's candy from miles. I never once heard, heard the writer go, I don't believe you. I, well, well no, I promise you, the, the, the Hershey's, it's a big company, they, they can make plenty, they can make all the candy that you want. I don't believe you. I doubt you. This is the only candy Hershey's will ever make. I'm sure that between the time I leave here and I get there, they're going to go out of business and go bankrupt and lose a recipe. They'll never be able to do it again. You know why I didn't see anybody do that? Because that is intellectually reckless. If you can wrap your mind around a God who has the power to bring Jesus back one time, give him a brand new body, why would you have any question about the fact that he could do it over over and over and over and over and over again? We have the proof. We have the life of Jesus. It's not like God's going to forget the recipe. It's not like God's going to go out of business tomorrow. It's not like God's going to forget how to do it. If he ever could, then he still can. And the fact that we get a little preview of what our new body will be like through the 40 days of Jesus, and that's what we have to look forward to. Now, I realize for some of you, it might not really move the meter for you to think about, well, I don't really want to fly. Um, You know, I'd rather just sit around in a cloud and play a harp. Man, heaven's going to be a letdown for you. (laughs) because deep down inside of us we want to know that we're forgiven we want to know that we have purpose we want to have hope we want to have peace for our present and our future we want to have we want to come to terms with our past we don't want to die we don't want to stop existing we don't want punishment and torment and separation from god and that's not what he wants for us either but Paul says, without the resurrection, your Bible's false, your faith is useless, and your sins are unforgiven. But here's the third reason why. And this is, I think, to me at this season of my life, the one that resonates with me the most. The resurrection matters to me because it promises me that I have peace and hope and an identity that is durable for my present and my future. It means that. No matter how my life changes, no matter how my health changes, no matter how my earning changes, no matter how my relationships change, no matter how my influence changes, whether I ever finish the bucket list or not, I can have peace. It's durable, regardless of what tomorrow's headlines are, regardless of what happens to me this afternoon, regardless of whether I ever get to the number that Fidelity says I need to get to to stop working. According to them, I need 114 years of living to be able to get there. So pray for me. I'm going to have to come up with some more sermons, and you might hear a few of them again. (laughs) Paul says it's okay. There's a time in my life where that little widget on their website would have sunk me. I recognize, worship team, you can come. I recognize, I think a little bit about my life now in my late 40s than I did when I was a teenager. Some of you are teenagers. Enjoy being a teenager while you're a teenager. I know you might think it's the worst thing in the world. Trust me, there's a day where you say, I'd do anything to go back to those days. You need to realize the good old days while you have them, right? Andy Bernard. Um, (laughs) I recognize as I, some of you would say mature, I, I would say as I age, I'm in a season of my life that's different from how I felt about myself in my teenage years and my 20s and even my early 30s. I had to say this gently. Um, I'm not improving anymore. <laughs> I don't run faster than I used to run. I can't do more pull-ups than I used to do. I can't do more push-ups than I used to do. I do less now. Things start to hurt that I didn't even know I had. done lost my hair I forget things my mind's not as sharp as it used to be I mean I still dress amazing but um, (laughs) (laughs) this (laughs) this shirts from the children's place for crying out loud we had the idea that my wife wanted all of us to match today and so the three of the four she ordered them all from the children's place so that's what happens right I think, you know, I knew Jesus from when I was a kid. And I've always believed in his resurrection. I don't remember a time I didn't believe in his resurrection. I just think my understanding of what it, how it matters has changed over time for me. Because honestly, when I was a kid and a teenager, I, I had my, I felt, I'm, my whole life is ahead of me. I've got all these things I want to experience. Yeah, I know when I die, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to die, though. Like, I want to keep living. Like, I was terrified of... Dying, not because I was afraid of where I wanted to go when I died, but there's so many things I wanted to experience. I don't know if you can relate to that. You know, it's like on the one hand, you know, so I don't have a death wish, but I, I want to live. I want to see some things. I want to do some stuff. I'm still getting better. I'm still improving and increasing. And so Jesus' resurrection was just nice to know that I didn't have to be terrified of judgment, but like, it didn't so much shape my purpose and my peace and my identity a whole lot at that point. But now I'm like, man, I, uh, I might have less days ahead of me than behind me. I might not ever get to the number Fidelity says I need to get to. There's certain achievements that I had hoped to experience in life I might not experience. My bucket list is getting longer. I don't know. That's the list I don't think I want to finish. Cause what? What do you do then? Yeah, you got to keep adding on to it or else you're in bad shape. But um, I got to tell you, the, knowing that there was the resurrection, knowing that I will have a resurrection, it provides for me a peace in this season of life that has helped me come to terms with how many days God has for me to live on this earth. I don't feel like I'm headed into some sort of a midlife crisis where I'm like, I don't have that many days left. I better just start spending and living recklessly because it's all slipping through my fingers. I've talked to some people who have lived long lives, but not good lives. I've talked to people on their deathbeds and led them to Jesus. And in those moments, I hear a lot of remorse. I hear a lot of regret. I hear a lot of pain. I am thankful that they're headed to heaven, but in their own minds, they're also saying, but i wasted, there's a grief that they have that, to be honest, I don't have. Because of his resurrection. I have peace about how many days I do or I don't have on this earth, because this is not the only life I'll ever have. I have hope that no matter how good or bad today is, that there is a tomorrow that is coming that surpasses all of those expectations. I can enjoy and give and save or spend money in a different way because that's not the only currency I'll ever have. And I have an urgency about the way that I live now because I've lived long enough to have some people that are colleagues of mine in my life die. And it happens more every year. And I realize this life is so short. And it shapes the purpose. I'm not here to build the biggest castle that I can or gather the most toys that I can or accumulate a big pile of money to leave to the Antichrist or whoever else. I'm here to continue in my journey of Christlikeness and invite other people to join me on that journey. And so the older that I get, it also creates in me a boldness to tell my story and to share my story. It helps me put my wins and losses in perspective. And it gives me a peace and an identity and a purpose that is durable. Because I believe not only in his resurrection, but in mine. Praise his name. Can you grab onto that today? If I've reminded you of something today, then grab that and let your life be just a little bit different. A little more purposeful, a little more peaceful, a little more hopeful as you leave this morning. But if you've yet to grab onto that... Now is your moment. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I hope and I pray that every time we come together as a faith community, that there are those watching online or listening through our podcast or here in attendance at at one of our services. I hope and I pray that there are some of you here that, that are here and you don't know whether you're right with the Lord or not. You're uncertain. You're unsure. Or maybe you're sure that you're not right with God. And so my question is simply this. Do you believe that you need to be saved? Do you believe that you have broken God's laws and that... Sorry, let me grab my train of thought here. Do you believe that you've broken God's laws and that you're guilty of sinning against him? Do you believe that you need to be forgiven? Do you believe that Jesus can save you and that he will save you if you ask him? Are you ready? Are you ready? to surrender control of your life to Jesus. If so, this is your moment. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to start anything or something. Here's what you need to do. You do need to just confess that to Jesus and be willing to repent. That's it. Just tell Jesus in your own words that you know that you've sinned and that you believe in the facts that the Bible tells you from the eyewitnesses who saw it that Jesus did die for your sins that he was buried and that he did come back to life from being dead to prove that sin and death are defeated and that your sins can be forgiven if you put your faith in him and if that's you today can I invite you right now just put your faith in Jesus confess that to him so many of us remember when we did that and it changed our lives forever doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be read out of a book or follow a certain form. Just your honest confession from your heart to God's ears. In fact, I can give you an example of a simple prayer you can pray. Jesus, please forgive me because I've sinned. You are the Lord and I surrender my life to you. I believe in you, and I'm ready to be changed. Live inside of me. Change me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, you're totally, completely, gloriously saved. There's not another thing that you need to do. There's not a form you have to fill out. There's not a class you have to go through. There's not an interview. You are saved not because of following some advice but because of what Jesus did and just believing in what he did. So I just want to encourage you if you prayed that prayer with me today I'd love for you to do something a little bit brave today. I'm going to count to three and if you prayed that prayer with me I'd love for you to just lift up your hand make eye contact with me and then I'll acknowledge you. You can put it right back down. I'm not asking you to to go through a church membership class or to come up front and tell your story in a microphone. I just want to celebrate this moment with you. So who prayed with me today? One, two, three. Who prayed that prayer with me today? Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we're all so grateful and indebted to you for the love that you have for us. Jesus, uh, words aren't enough. And so we give you us and thank you for reminding us today of the truth of what you've done. May we truly be different today and tomorrow and forever because of what you did for us and the hope that it provides for us, the forgiveness that it releases to us, the purpose that it gives to us, the identity that we can be rooted in. We surrender ourselves again to the daily journey of your spirit, making us more and more and more into your image. In you might. mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If will, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.